Uh, If you have a Bible, open it up to the Psalms. We're continuing through the Psalms, rolling on through the series called Collide. Uh, We'll be on Psalm 107 tonight, which is going to be page 506 in the Bibles nearby. You see under the chairs there. You can grab one of those black Bibles. It'll be page 506 there. Or if you have your own Bible, Psalm 107. Uh, The series is Collide, Emotion Meets Truth in the Psalms. And so what we've been challenged by is to not choose whether we're going to be absolute truth people or absolute authenticity people, but to let those things both kind of live together in the messiness of a, of a real life where we allow uh, both real emotions, but also the absolute truth of God's word to collide together. We've seen that modeled for us and, and kind of seen what that looks like uh, as a praying people, as a worshiping people, as a people living in community with one another. Tonight, uh, we're calling the sermon Study His Love because what's going to happen in Psalm 107 is we're going to talk about this theme of God's love, which we, we hear all the time. We can almost become deaf to it because we're so used to hearing it. But what we see in the psalm is, is it's being turned and looked at from different angles. Uh, so we hear John 3.16, God loved the world so much He sent His Son for us. And that is our hope and we believe that. But what Psalm 107 does is it says God's love is for this kind of person. And God's love is also for this kind of person. And God's love is also for this other kind of person. And so you might think you're, you've done so many bad things, you're beyond God's love. And the Psalm will reassure us, no, no one is beyond God's love. Or you might have the opposite problem. You might think you're so good, you don't really need God's love. And the Psalm will remind you as well, we, we all need God's love. And so it's going to Show it to us from different angles. We're going to study it, look at it, turn it around. Uh, What I'd like to do is read the first few verses and then read the end verse to kind of pick up that theme and then kind of march through it piece by piece. So the beginning, it says in verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. So that word in the ESV, steadfast love, I believe in the NIV, it's unfailing love. It's often translated as covenantal love, but it's this Hebrew word has said that we've seen a lot in the Psalms, which is really a very strong word for God's special love for his people, God's saving love. So that's going to appear again and again throughout this text. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from troubles. That means he's bought us back. He saved us. And it says, and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. So I hope you see that kind of totality of he saved people from all over the place. Okay, He's speaking very specifically here of the gathering of God's people after they've been exiled. So Psalm 107 tonight, we're beginning uh, section 5 of the Psalms, the last section, which is a lot of the Psalms in this section are celebrating the return of God's people from being scattered all over the world. The empires had come in and conquered Israel. They'd scattered the people everywhere. And now they're being collected back to their place, back to Israel. And so here they're celebrating that in a literal sense, God's taking these people from the four corners of the world and bringing them back to Israel. But it's also a picture of what God does in our life. And we see that uh, throughout the Bible kind of coming to a climax in Revelation of God is saving a people for himself from every tongue and tribe and people group. Uh, And so what's foreshadowed among the people of Israel, God saving them from the four corners, is an even deeper reality. God saves all of us from all over the world. We're all from different tribes, from different places, from different neighborhoods. We were raised in different ways. And God is saving all of us. So I want you to see those kind of two layers there. And then 
He's going to move through the text, and, and we'll look at these all verse by verse later, but I'm going to summarize now. He's going to move through the text showing us His love in different situations. And then He's going to come to the end, and in the end, in verse 43, after He's looked at God's love applied to different situations, He says this, verse 43, Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So whoever is wise, attend to this. Heed this. Pay attention to this. Consider this. Study this. Okay, so that's what he's asking us to do. That's what we're going to try to do. We're going to try to resist that. Oh, I've, yeah, I've heard that. God loves me. Whatever. We're going to try to focus. We're going to try to attend to it and study his love for us. Let me pray for us and then we'll move, move forward. God, we pray uh, for help. We, we ask for your spirit to help us to attend to these things, to heed your words, to, to be wise, to consider your love. Help us to recognize the steadfast love you have for us. Uh, we know that you've proven that through Jesus, and so we pray now that your Spirit would make it real to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I fell in love with my wife, uh, I decided at, at a certain point uh, I wanted to ask her to marry me. I wanted to make her my wife. I wanted her to be with me forever. And so something that's very common in our culture, I went to a jewelry shop at that point, right? So you know, you know what's coming, right? There's this kind of common cultural thing. It's not across the board in our culture, but generally, often men in our culture will buy a what's called an engagement ring, right? To propose to a woman and say, I'm serious about this. Will you be my wife? Will you be with me forever? And so I'm at a jewelry shop and I really don't know anything about jewelry. I've never worked in a jewelry shop. I never really wore jewelry. I didn't really know much about it. I just kind of had this cultural idea that I needed to do this. So I go in and I am studying diamonds. I've never studied diamonds before, but I'm looking with a jeweler at these diamonds. He's trying to sell me a diamond to put in a ring to give to this woman to say, will you marry me? And so me, I don't know much about it, but but the jeweler knows all about it, and he's got a special magnifying glass, and he's taking classes on this stuff, and he's, he's turning it in the light, and he's showing me how it sparkles. And he's saying, look at it from this angle, right? And then he turns it and says, look at it from this angle. And then he turns it this way and wants me to look at it from this side as well. And, and this experience, to me, is what, what the psalmist is doing here in Psalm 107. He's taking the love of God, which we may not know very much about at all. We may have seen it from a distance or heard about it. But here he's saying, look at how beautiful this is. And let me turn it and look at it from this direction. And see how the light sparkles through it when we look at it from this side. And so we're going to see the, the multifaceted love of God in this passage. It's, it's a beautiful, vivid portrayal. Very artistic, very uh, gripping. There's a lot of different images that are used here. Um, and it reminds me of something we see in Colossians 3.10. There's this great verse in Colossians 3.10 where Paul is talking about the church as the display of the manifold wisdom of God. And that word is uh, polypoiklos in Greek, which means the many-faceted, like a diamond, or the many-colored, like a tapestry, wisdom of God. God is displaying in us, in God's people, we are this people gathered from every nation from every tongue from every tribe from the north and the west and the east and the south just like it says in psalm 107 verse 3 god's gathered us from all these places and he's now displaying his love through us and so we want to study that from the different angles we want to see it how god's 
displaying this multifaceted love to us in different situations. And again, some of you might think that you're beyond God's love. Some of you might think you don't even need God's love. And hopefully we'll see by the end of the night, we'll see as we turn it and look at it and study it, we'll see how great His love really is. We've got a lot of verses, so I'm going to kind of try to move quickly. And the first thing we, we see as we study His love is that He loves wanderers. God loves wanderers. So if you, if you feel like a wanderer, if you feel like you're just kind of out homeless, out in the desert, God loves people like you. Okay, so you're welcome. God loves you. That, that's the, the message here. Look at verses 4 through 9. Verses 4 through 9 say that God loves wanderers. It says in verse 4, some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. So there, there was no habitation, no place to live. Just out there wandering. Hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. Now, I want to emphasize this for a second. We're going to see this again through every section tonight. It says over and over again, four times, four different ways of, or different types of people that God loves, and each section has this refrain, then He cried to the Lord in their trouble, or then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. So that's going to repeat again and again. That's going to be a chorus that comes back and back, back again and again in the psalm. A lot of repetition. Verse 7 says, He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. And then verse 8, this is another phrase they're going to repeat in each section. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. For He satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul He fills with good things. So we have a repeated line that occurs in every section. The repeated lines are, they cried to the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them from their distress. Verse 6. And then verse 8, let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love for His wondrous works to the children of man. So every section is going to say, when we cry out to God, He saves us. And then our response should be to praise Him for it. Say, thank you God for Your incredible love. To praise Him for His steadfast love. So that's going to repeat throughout the psalm. But the difference in this one is it's a different lens or a different facet or a different focus point here. It's talking about for those of us that are wanderers. Those of us that feel homeless. We feel like we're out in the desert and we don't have water. Or we feel like we're wandering and there's no city to dwell in. That's the picture here he's giving of saving people out of that situation. I found a picture that I thought of when I, I thought of desert here. And this is The Three Amigos. I don't know if you've seen this. This is a great movie, a great a classic of literature. Um, they're wandering in the desert and at one point they're, they're running out of water and he takes his canteen and he throws back his canteen desperate, thirsty for something to drink, and just sand comes out. And so in this picture, there's sand just caked all over his face. It's just disgusting. It's like the, the worst idea you could think of if you're really thirsty, right? Drinking sand. Um, some of you may have done something like that in, in NTC or training out in the desert, but generally, if you're really thirsty, you're not going to want to drink sand. And that's the picture that we have in the movie. And that's kind of the picture here in the psalm is they're, they're wandering. They're homeless. They're looking for a place to stay, looking for a place to live, looking for a place to drink some water, a place to find some food, and they can't find any place. So I wonder if any of you have ever felt uh, just out on your own, like you're just a wanderer. You don't have family. You don't have a home. You don't have a city. I know some people have reported to me, this might be hard for some of you to imagine, but some people feel that way when they get called to Fort Hood, Texas. Can you believe that? Some people feel that way when God moves them here. Like, God, what are, what are you doing? I'm, I'm homeless now. I'm wandering out in the desert. I'm out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, God calls us to this strange, alien place. God makes you feel like a, a wanderer. 
But what I want you to see in the text is that God saves people like that. Those of us that feel like wanderers, we feel like we don't have a family, we don't have a home, we don't have anything to drink, we're thirsty, we're hungry, we're homeless. God saves people in that situation. One of the things that we learned a few years ago when we were studying Hebrews is in Hebrews 11, it talks about the faith of many of the Old Testament heroes. And it has this great phrase about Abraham, about him looking forward to a city with foundations. And there's this beautiful idea kind of in the text there that, that when you have this uh, surety, have this kind of solidness about your future home in heaven with God, right? When, when you have established by faith that God loves you and He's adopted you into your, or into His family, and so you now know you have a home, you may not be all the way there yet, but you have a home you're looking forward to, that miraculously turns us loose to actually love uh, the, the way station He has us in now. That, that makes us free to love those around us because we know we're in the family of God. It makes us free to love the city we're in now because we know this isn't the only city. We're called to the real city, the heavenly city. We look forward to that. And that keeps us from being obsessed over the glory days of I wish I could go back to that other city I lived in last year or 10 years ago or wherever it was, right? We can, we can actually be free to love this earthly city because it's not our only city, right? Like if this is our only hope, you're going to hate the city, right? You're going to despise it. But the city isn't our only hope. The heavenly city is our real hope. And God saves wanderers out of, out of this wandering temporary time on this earth, this, this broken world. He's saving us. He's remaking the world. Romans 8 says He's not just transporting us to be you know, floating care bears, but He's renewing all of creation. It's all going to be made new. There's going to be a new creation, a new heavens, a new earth. Everything's going to be right. No more disease, no more sickness, no more pain. That's what we're headed for. And so He saves wanderers like us when we feel homeless, when we feel like we don't have a city, when we feel like we don't have a home, we don't have a place to rest our head, a place to eat, a place to hang out. He's saving us. And, and the more by faith we have confidence in that, the more we're set free to love the people around us in the here and now. Because this isn't all our hope. This isn't all our hope. We don't have everything cashed in on this. That sets us free to live with a reckless abandon here and now. We can love the people around us. We can take time for people. We can love the city. We can love these people. Because this, this isn't it. This isn't everything. We're headed to something better. So that's the hope that we have, and we see that He saves wanderers like us. And, and I would say the application of that is that we should love even this city. We should love the city. God calls us to love the city. Whatever city He brings you to. God may have you in a different city next year. God calls you to love your city. He, loves, he calls you to love your home knowing it's not your real home. Your real home is in heaven. That's what frees you to love this home now. So that's the confidence we can have knowing that He loves us. The next section we see He loves prisoners. Verses 10-16, through God loves prisoners. Verse 10, some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High, so He bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness in the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. For He shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. 
So do you see the repeat part again? The, the, the repetition, they called to him in distress. He saved them. He delivered them. And then let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for the wondrous works uh, to the children of man. And so we have the repetition again. This is a saving God. We should thank him for his great love. And then we have the difference. This is about prisoners. This is the people that feel locked up. People that feel like they're in bondage. Now, of course, there's a, a literal and then also a, a broader application. There's a literal. These were real people in real prisons, right? We should be people that actually love real prisoners, people that are really in chains. That's an application point for us. We can, we can share Jesus with those in, in actual prisons. Jesus talks about that in the New Testament. We have a prison ministry here at the church. If you want to get involved, contact the church office. We'll, we'll work to get you in the prisons to share Jesus with people, to do Bible studies with people. We think that's a great, a great real application of what it means to represent this kind of God, this God that loves prisoners. I think for a lot of us that might be outside of our experience base, and I want you to understand that, that God loves anyone that feels locked up in, in anything that feels like uh, I'm in bondage, I can't get out of this, God can set you free from that. So I want, to, I want you to see that at a broader sense as well, not, not just physical prison, not just the local jail, but, but anything that we're in bondage to, God can set us free from that. Uh, an example I, I found was uh, this, this movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I had a picture here of these guys breaking free. They, you know, they physically used uh, hammers and chisels to break the chains that they were hooked up to, right? They were a chain gang, and they were set free. I want you to see, though, that in that movie, if you know anything about the movie, their, their lives were still a wreck, right? I mean, it's one thing to be physically unchained, but their lives were still a mess, and it was just this you know, crazy adventure, one mishap after another. What I want you to understand is that God can really set you free, right? Not like this halfway setting you free where you're dragging your chains around behind you, but genuinely really set you free. And we look forward to, again, we look forward to the completion of that as Paul talks about it in Romans 8. Then there's no more groaning, right? There's a day when it's going to be finished, but he wants us to share in his business of sharing freedom with others as, as we limp towards that future together in the the vivid imagery here in the psalm is that God alone is the one that can break bars of iron. God can tear down these strongholds. God can break the things that we think are beyond Him. And I just want to remind you of that as we see that here. He's the kind of God that loves those that feel locked up. Some of you feel like, man, I'm, in, I'm, I'm stuck in something I can't get out of. God loves people like you. God loves people like us. No matter where we come from, no matter what you're stuck in. So as I said, one, one application is actually ministering to those that are locked up. A, a really important application before you go to any of those other helping other people kind of applications is just recognizing if, if you feel locked up, call out to God. Do what we see in the text. It, it says, again, this repetition. We see it in verse 13 in the section. They cried to the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them from their distress. The Scriptures repeatedly say that God is the one that rescues people. So we cry out to God. He's the one that delivers. He's the one that rescues. He's the one that snatches us out of that prison, whatever it is we may be in bondage to. Another ministry that you could help to, to be a part of here at the church is Celebrate Recovery. That's a ministry that we have that is really designed to help people with any hurt or habit or hang-up that they're going through. It meets here on Monday nights. Um, but, but a lot of those issues often are addictions, things that you feel like, I can't get out of this, I'm, 
I'm powerless to break free from this. I, I can't do this. I need help. We'll call out to God for help, and there's a community of people that are finding help in God on Monday nights that, that want to help you with that. We want to help you as well. Or maybe you could just even help in that ministry, help serve others that are struggling in that way, that feel like they're prisoners. I want to encourage you to take part in that. There's also other opportunities, of course, that we always have of helping people to break through from things that they're stuck in. I mean, basically all of the ministries of the church are designed for that. Whether you're involved in the children's ministry or the nursery or marriage ministry or whatever it might be at the church, the idea is to help us as people move beyond these things that we're stuck in, that we're imprisoned by. And, and really the ultimate thing that imprisons us, as Jesus tells us, is, is our own sin. Our own sin is really, that's really the ultimate chain that only Jesus can break by his death and resurrection. So that's the ultimate freedom. There are these other circumstantial things that we feel bound by, but, but Jesus, his work, dying for us and rising for us, that's, that's what really sets us free. That's, that's the ultimate freedom that we look forward to. The next thing that he says is he loves fools. That's very encouraging for me. God loves fools. Uh, verses 17 through 22. Look at verses 17 through 22. So again, we've got the repetition of the cry out and give thanks part, but then a difference of a, a different scenario, a different trap that people have fallen into here. So verse 17, some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them from their distress. So there's that repetition again. He sent out His Word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love for His wondrous works to the children of man. That's the other verse repeated again. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of His deeds in songs of joy. We sing because we believe that God has rescued us from our own foolishness. God has saved us, loved us out of our own foolishness, our own stupid decisions. If you want to do a comprehensive study of what it means to be a fool, um, Proverbs is really the book to go to. There's other places mentioned in Scripture, but repeatedly throughout the Proverbs, we uh, have different viewpoints of who the fool is, what it means to be a fool. I just want to try to give you a bite-sized definition through a picture here. I have a picture of a sign that says, Dangerous Cliff Edge. A fool at its simplest is someone that ignores clear warnings marches into something stupid and just says i don't care i can i can do life on my own marches past the sign that says cliff's edge and then lies mangled at the bottom and, and so if you're like me when you've gotten yourself in those kind of situations where you knew what you were doing was wrong and you did it anyway and then you got hurt often the temptation is to say well, I can't ask God for help now because I already knew this was wrong, so I better not ask, right? You ever have that kind of crazy thought in your head? You think, well, I'm, I'm really bad. This wasn't like an accidental bad thing. This was a really on purpose bad, so God can't save me now. But, but God saves all sinners, all kinds of sin. Romans 3.23 says, the playing field is leveled where all sinners, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. It's, it's a gift. It's not something that only the, only the people that were halfway bad, they get salvation through Jesus. And then those of us that are really bad, sorry, game's off, right? We don't get anything. No, it, it's universal. God loves fools too. Fools that have done stupid things, that have marched right into what God told us not to do, what our parents told us not, what, what not to do, our teachers told us not to do. We've marched into that. We've gotten ourselves hurt. 
we cry out in our distress to God, God saves us. God loves to save weak and broken people. This is huge encouragement from the gospel, from the love of God, from the picture here in the psalm. So I want to challenge you. If, if, you think, um, if you think your sin is too bad for God to save you, I, I want to challenge you to repent. Uh, to repent of your pride. Because um, often what happens is we, we call it shame, we call it humility, but really it's pride. We're kind of saying, I'm such a special sinner, I'm outside of the reach of God. Right? Like, I'm so great at sin, God's not powerful enough to save me. And I would say we need to repent of that pride and recognize that all of our sin is sin. Sin is sin. Religious sin, irreligious sin, foolish sin, um, accidental sin, whatever categorize you want to do, it, it's sin. God, God came to save sinners like you and me. So repent of your pride. Don't think that you have special sins that God can't save. They're all the same. Some sins cause bigger problems socially. Some sins cause bigger consequences in this world. But all sin is sin before God. All of it is not trusting Him. And if you call out to Him, He'll forgive you for that. That's the promise of the Gospel. The last thing that we see is that He loves the fearful. This is the last lens I want us to look through and then we'll kind of wrap it up with a kind of a special section at the end of the psalm. But in verses 23-32, through 32, He tells us that He loves the fearful. Those that are in a, a scary situation, a terrifying situation, starting in verse 23, it says, Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. Y'all remember what we've learned through the Psalms about the waters and the sea and the Hebrew mindset? Um, if, you, if you haven't been with us, uh, the Hebrews thought of water as a scary place of chaos, right? So we've joked about this. They didn't necessarily have a swim team or a yacht club, right? They weren't into water, the Hebrew people. They were land people. And throughout their poetry, the water was always a, an image of death, right? And so during the exile, some were sent out on the waters, some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. Verse 24 says, They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. For He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, then they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men, and they were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. That repetition again. He made the storm... Be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Does that sound? That should ring a bell in your ears. That verse? Let me read that one again. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Remember that the disciples were Jews, right? That meant that they grew up worshiping in synagogues and worshiping at temples, singing these psalms. So the disciples weren't the sharpest knife in the drawer, right? They weren't the smartest guys. But they knew the songs, at least. They would have sung these songs. They would have known this line. So what do you think they thought when Jesus said, peace, be still, out on the stormy waters? This is what they would have been hearing. They would have known this song. This song would have been playing in their head. It says again, verse 29, He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and He brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol Him in the congregation of the people and praise Him in the assembly of the elders. So again, praising Him because of His salvation. And His salvation is a salvation that's not just for wandering people without a home. 
It's not just for fools. It's not just for prisoners. It's also for those that are out on the waters that are in the storms of life, that are being battered around, people that are fearful and afraid. If you find yourself afraid, if you find yourself full of anxiety, full of fear, God's love is for you too. So see, He keeps turning this diamond. He keeps turning this love and letting us look at it from different directions. He, he loves those of us that feel all alone. He loves those of us that feel foolish. He loves those of us that feel imprisoned. He loves those of us that are fearful. <coughs> I, I want you to think about what are the, what are the storms? What, what's the storm in your life? I don't think anybody here is in the Navy. None of us, probably few of us have boats. There's a couple of lakes out here, so some people have fishing boats. But probably not a lot of us have been on these kinds of you know, perfect storm situations like it's described, described here. I have a picture here of a boat out on stormy waters. Um, that would be a scary thing, to be out on a boat in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of a great sea. For a lot of you, it's probably not water. It's probably not a real boat, but there's probably something knocking you around in life, right? There's probably something that's, that's a storm for you that you are fearful of so that you could understand what he's saying here, that God saves people that are in the middle of a storm, that are middle in, in the sea, feeling like they're about to be shipwrecked, feeling like everything's rocking around and turning upside down. For some of you, it might, it might be depression. It might be cancer. For some of you, it might be a loneliness. Feeling all alone, feeling like you don't have a family, that might be a storm knocking you around. For some of you, it might be having a family, it might be your storm, right? Like it's utter chaos swirling around you. What's the storm in your life? Know that God is this God who loves us even when we're fearful, even when we're afraid and everything's upside down and nothing is straight. We don't have our, our legs underneath us. We feel like we're just losing control. God loves us in that situation as well. Again and again, the, the author is calling us back to crying out to God. Are you beyond crying out to Him in your distress? Do you think your situation's different? That God, maybe God saves these people over here, but God can't save me because my situation is different. I, I want you to see how he's, he's tried to turn it to every situation and say, God loves people like you. God loves people like me, no matter who we are. No matter where we come from. No, no matter our makeup, no matter our tribe, no matter how we look, no matter what we struggle with, God loves all kinds of people from all kinds of places. He, he concludes with this great section that to, to kind of continue with the psalm or song concept might almost be like a bridge, right? We've kind of had a chorus and verses, right? We've had these repeating choruses and then we've had these verses that kind of take it and turn it in different directions. And then we have this bridge that kind of goes in a different direction, but it's reinforcing the idea that we should call out to God. So, so I want you to hear this uh, last section, verses 33 through 42. And what he emphasizes in this last section is that God changes circumstances. So he's taking us through these different circumstances, saying God can love you in all these different circumstances. And then he's going to conclude with this last section that's going to tell us that, that He loves us uh, and He can raise up those of us that are humble and in hard situations and He can bring down those of us that are prideful and in good situations. So look, look at this verses 33 through 42. It says, He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. 
He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. Do you see that reversal, right? So he's saying he takes the uh, well-watered land and he can turn that into a desert. But he can also take the desert and he can turn that into well-watered land. As he talks about this established healthy land in verse 37, it says they sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly. And he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. I hope you see, again, this, this almost sounds kind of strange because it doesn't fit the rhythm of where he's been going, but it's like he goes off on this little rabbit trail to reinforce that God raises up and brings down. So those who have, we've exalted ourselves, we set ourselves up over others, we're oppressing others, God can bring us down. And those of us that are oppressed, that are down, God can lift us up. And so it's reinforcing the power of the sovereignty, the strength of God over any situation. Saying God is the one that's in control ultimately. God's the one that can lift us up. God's also the same one that can bring us down. And so again, this, like, like a rabbit trail, but it's reinforcing the chorus that we've already seen of we should cry out to God in our distress and give thanks to Him for His steadfast love. It's reinforcing that idea. God's the one that does the work. So call out to Him. Study his love. Attend to these things. And that's where we end with verse 43. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Study the steadfast love of the Lord. Uh, one of our own members this week did art for us based on that final verse. I wanted to show you that. He does great pen and ink art. And it's basically just a wanderer. Uh, looking out into the sunlight over a city, looking for a home. And he put the verse at the bottom there, that final verse, whoever is wise, let him heed or let him attend to these things and consider the great love of God. That, that's the challenge for us. That's the challenge for us, that we would actually follow, that we would actually attend to the love of God, that we would see it, that we would run to it, that we would call out to Him and say, God, I see Your great love. We would call out to Him to save us. That we would call out to Him for His steadfast love, His saving love, His great love. And that none of us would think we're beyond it. None of us would think whether we've sinned too much or maybe we think we're so good, either one. None of us would think that we're beyond the love of God. But understand that He's what we need to save us, to lift us up. Let me pray for us. God, we thank You that You are the one that saves us. We thank You that You proved it in Jesus. And we pray that You would make us a diverse people that represent Your love from every different background, every different situation. And none of us would think that we're beyond Your love. That we would all call to You. That we would be a people that live out this chorus of calling to You in our distress. Being saved by You and then giving, giving thanks for Your love. We thank you. We thank you for your saving love. We thank you for the saving love that you demonstrated and proved to us in Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen.